Hi, I'm Daniela Stockflet Menis. Welcome to my podcast because everyone has a story. The place to give ordinary people's stories the chance to be shared and preserved. Our stories become the language of connections. Let's enjoy it, connect, and relate because everyone has a story. For this episode, my guest is an adore friend, Susan. She shares a few details about her challenging childhood life, her passion for travel, and her now life in Harbin, China. Enjoy it. Welcome, Susan, to the podcast. I am so thrilled that you're here with us today. Hello, Daniela. I'm thrilled to be here, too. You heard that I was doing a podcast and you said, I have a story for you, which was so exciting. And I'm glad that you're bringing that to us today. Thank you for having me. Susan. How do we know each other? That was what, in 2000? Yes, exactly. I started working at FedEx in 2000, where I met your lovely husband. We were in the same new hire class, and we became friends. I actually remember the moment I met you. Dave and I were going to some sort of party. I came to pick him up, and I came inside, and I met you and baby Samuel. <laughs> Yes, I remember. And then always having fun parties and we kept in touch. And I don't know when you left to go and live in China. 2007. Okay. And since then, we still have kept in touch and we even traveled together to Vietnam in 2017. We did. That was amazing. I know. Being with you is always fun. It's always exciting. And you are an avi traveler and adventurous as well. I try to be. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a story for us. And the story is related to you following your bliss and your passion and not giving in to social pressure. Is that true? That is right. Yes. So tell me, how come you decided to share this story? Well, I thought I would share a little bit about my life in China and my travels. And then upon reflection, I thought, maybe I should speak about my past a bit too, because in a way, it kind of led me to some of the life decisions I've made. Uh -huh. Great. I actually rarely speak about my childhood, not because it's a secret or anything. I just don't want to dwell on the past now that it's behind me. I don't want to be seen as a victim, but I've decided to talk about it a bit because it is part of my story. When I think about it, I think a lot of the decisions I've made are because of that past. That sounds interesting. I had a difficult childhood. My father was a very angry, abusive man. He always took his anger out on me. Unfortunately, as I got older, the beatings got more frequent and worse. I always dreamed of running away, but had nowhere to go. And then when I was 13, I came up with a plan. I had been babysitting up until that point. So I got my first real job and I devised a plan to save up enough money to buy a car on my 16th birthday. To me, for some reason, a car meant freedom. Mm -hmm. So that was my plan. And I'd, I'd been working hard and saving hard. And then when I was 15, I decided that I couldn't wait any longer. I had to leave. There were two separate incidents where I literally thought, I'm going to die right now, this moment. So I reached out to my school counselor for help. I told her everything. She unfortunately wasn't much help. Mm -hmm. She told me that I was too old for foster care and that a group home would probably be worse. So I was better off staying where I was. Oh, my God. <laughs> right? Wow. 
things have changed a lot now. Today, there's a lot of support and help. Yes, and this is not like 100 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Things were very different then. So there I was, left to my own devices, 15 years old, nobody to help me, but knowing that I was in a situation that I had to get out of. I just had to. I fulfilled my goal. I bought my car. And as soon as I turned 16, I was like, okay, that's it. I'm out of here. And so I ran away. Huh? Where did you go? Good question. I lived in my car. <laughs> uh -huh. I lived in my car, but I continued to go to school and work until someone reported me. I don't know who. The police came to my school and got my school counselor. And I thought, oh, now they want to help. <laughs> and they said, you can't live in your car. You have to go back home. You have to go back home. Yeah. I said, I'm not going back home. <laughs> no, that's not happening. Thankfully, I had some amazing friends who I reached out to. I didn't want to overstay my welcome anywhere, so I moved around a bit. But I stayed with different friends and their parents until I was old enough to get my own apartment. Wow. And you were working at the same time as you were going to school? I was, yeah. Huh. And where were you working? I was working at McDonald's at the time. Oh, wow. Yes. And then you graduated and you had good grades and you, you had no issues being in school? No, I was always a good student. I was always an honor roll student. Uh -huh. But needless to say, when I was going through that, that tough spot at the end, I skipped a lot of school. The school was very, very understanding. Very understanding, but it wasn't that helpful. Yes, yes, that is true. Okay. So then what happened? I could tell you all of the drama that came after that. For example, my father stalking me and, and the death threats and the need for a restraining order. But I don't want this whole episode to be about that. What I'd like to do, actually, unless you want a four-hour episode, <laughs> is to fast forward a few years. I had a, a pretty normal life. I was working full-time. As you know, I worked at FedEx. Life was okay, but I felt like something was missing, and I couldn't explain what. And then it was in my mid-20s that I started traveling abroad a bit. When I was young, I had traveled quite a bit, but only in North America. But yes, in my mid-20s, I started to travel a bit, first to the Caribbean and a few trips to Europe. I had never felt that feeling before. I just thought, wow, travel makes me happier than anything has ever made me my entire life. And so started my passion for travel. And why do you think that was a feeling coming? There are so many things But when I travel, I know it might sound corny, but it feeds my soul. There's so much beauty in our world. Natural beauty, architecture, culture, language, food, art. I learn. I learn so much when I travel, whether it's about history, culture. I also learn about myself when I travel. And actually, all of the big life decisions I've made have been while traveling actually forces me to take a time out and to slow down, to just look around and listen and wander aimlessly and think and reflect. That's true. When we went together to Vietnam, it was quite interesting that you do <laughs> made us stop and have a drink and enjoy the meals. And it was just, yeah, it was really fun. It was really fun to be with you. And I'm the same as you. Like, I'm very curious. And sometimes I am the same. I, I want to go, 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 go and see everything. And then I'll remind myself, take a time out. 
soak everything in, especially in Europe. There's so many beautiful outdoor cafes. Sometimes I'll just stop and get a coffee or a glass of wine and just people watch and just stare at the architecture I'm surrounded by. And it's just the most amazing feeling. Yes, yes. <laughs> I love that. So interesting. That's another thing about travel is it pushes your curiosity after traveling a bit, I just wanted more and more. I wanted to see and experience everything, everywhere. Could you tell us how many countries you have visited or how many cities? Cities, I have no idea. Countries, I've been to 94. 94 countries. Wow. And you know, if 2020 hadn't happened, I would be well over 100 now. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. What is it exactly that you're living now? So I live in Harbin, China. It's in the very northeast of China, near Russia and North Korea. Because it's so close to Russia and due to the history, there's a lot of Russian influence here. If you walk around downtown, you'll see a lot of Russian style buildings. And the most memorable one is Sophia Church. It's a Russian Orthodox church that was built in, I believe, 1907. Because we're so north, of course, we experience very cold winters here. Today, I, I want to say it's about minus 24 degrees Celsius. Is that dry winter or wet or humidity? Very dry, very, very dry. Okay. Often in January and February, we'll get down to the minus 30. It may go down to about minus 34 or 35. And is it sunny though, or, or you, you don't have rain like in Vancouver? So yes, exactly. When, when I compare Harbin winter and Vancouver winter, I actually prefer Harbin winter. Of course, Vancouver, the temperature is so comfortable and amazing. But, you know, it can get depressing sometimes when it's so gray and rainy for months and months. Whereas here, even though it's very cold, we often have sunshiny days through the winter. And what about the snow? You have piles of snow like in Montreal? It really depends. Every winter is different. We had a big snowfall, I want to say maybe about a foot a few weeks ago. But yeah, every winter is different. Sometimes we'll constantly have snow and sometimes we may not see it for a month. But it's always cold, of course. And because of the ice and snow here, that is what Harbin is most famous for. Every winter, they will have an ice and snow festival. You can, you know, tourists will come from all over China and the world, usually, to go and visit the, this tourist attraction. And it's just amazing what the locals do with ice and light. They have huge, amazing ice sculptures to walk around and see. Mm, sounds nice. Thank you. And so you started traveling and you got the bug and then? And then I couldn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> Go back for a moment. Here I am still living in Canada, working at FedEx, and I got the travel bug. And then I realized living in Canada, we're a bit far from things. When you only have a couple weeks to travel each year, you can't get very far. So I thought... How amazing would it be to actually live abroad for a year or two and travel that area while living abroad? And so I started to look into it. So I thought maybe I should live in Asia and travel Asia for a year or two. I thought about it for a few years and I wanted to do it, but I was really scared. And then I, to I told myself one day, what am I so scared of? What do I think is going to happen? Even if it's terrible, then I just leave. So I decided it's time now. If I don't do it now, I'll never do it. Started looking at jobs online 
And it seemed that most of the teaching jobs were in China. And then I thought, well, China has an amazing long history and it's a huge country with many sites to see. So I think I should go to China. I did that. When I first came to China, I really didn't care about the job at all. Teaching was just a means to travel. But then as soon as I started teaching, I loved it. I thought I was a businesswoman. I was very much into marketing and sales and management. But as soon as I started teaching, I thought, wow, I think this is my calling, actually. As I said in the beginning, my plan was to stay here for a year or two. But then when my time was up, I felt like I'm not done. So I extended another year and then another and then another. There are always pressures in life. A lot of people were always saying, time to come back to Canada. It's time to settle down. It's time to get married and have children. And it took me a while, quite a while, to realize that just because society and people in general tell me that I need to get married and have children and have a house doesn't mean I have to. Just because this is what society tells us we need to be happy, it doesn't mean that's happiness for everyone. That is not at all the life that I want. Maybe that's what makes most people happy, but that is not what would make me happy. I don't have to leave China if I don't want to. Like I was always putting on an expiry date on it. Okay, one more year. Okay, one more year. And then I realized, why? Why one more year? If I'm loving my life here, teaching and traveling, why not continue it indefinitely? Why does it have to come to an end? I took away the expiry date. Now I've been here 13 and a half years. Sure, something could change at some point. We don't know. I could all of a sudden wake up one day and think, okay, I'm done with China. Oh, I want to live in Canada again. But as of now, I don't see that changing anytime soon. I can see myself continuing this life for who knows how long because it makes me very, very happy. That's pretty good. And it's true. We don't have to follow society. I, I noticed that a lot with students, people that are just finished high school and then they decided that maybe they do one year university and they change or they don't really know what to do. And they are the ones who feel the most pressure thinking, oh my God, my classmates are ahead of me. This is a mistake. And actually, I think everything happens when it has to happen. And I'm very happy for you that you chose the place and that you found your calling, how you say it. Yes, I 100% agree. I don't know why everyone puts this pressure on themselves by comparing themselves to others. You said with education and with so many other things. Oh, all my friends are buying a house. That means I have to too. I'm behind. Or like I said, with marriage and children. If that's what makes you happy, then of course, pursue it. But just because that makes one person happy doesn't mean it makes everyone happy. And like you said, life is not a race. Do it in your own time. Just follow your own bliss. Do whatever makes you happy. Yes. The, the majority of the people are, are still looking for what makes them happy. Not everybody's lucky. No, of course not. That's true. Sometimes people know what they want to do when they're 10 years old. And some people don't realize exactly what they want to do until they're 40. And that's okay. I think what's important is once you know what will make you happy, then go for it. Don't stop trying. But if you don't know what it is yet, that's okay. And what about when people say, well, I don't know if I should try. It's going to be a waste of time. I feel nothing is a waste of time because 
everything is a learning experience. By trying things that you end up not liking, you're still getting to where you need to be because that's actually pointing out what you do, don't want. And sometimes we need to realize what we don't want in order to figure out what we do want. I know that happened to me too. <laughs> Susan, when you arrived in China and you were thinking, well, maybe I'd leave one year or the next year, what was it that actually was keeping you from staying there? Especially because it's a different culture, the, where you are located is quite cold in winter. Yeah, so when I first arrived in China and started traveling in Asia, I realized I actually love the feeling of culture shock. I know culture shock makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable in many ways. To me, it's exciting to see and hear and smell and taste things that you never have before. Being here for 13 years, things have changed and modernized a lot. But when I first got here, there were a lot of things that were, well, shocking to me. And it was just always a new experience. I never knew when I was walking down the street each day what I might come across. The city was modern enough that there was there were cars, of course, but we would also see a horse-drawn carriage carrying garbage or a donkey pulling a huge bundle the size of a house. Some of the culture and customs here, for example, on certain festivals, many Chinese people will burn money for their ancestors. They believe that once their ancestors are in heaven, they need money there to survive. At night, if you go outside, you will see on the corners of some streets, some people have a little fire. So at first you're like, what is this guy doing? Is this guy insane making a fire in the middle of the street? But then you learn about it and you learn why he's doing it. And actually now you see this much less. It's actually become illegal here for pollution reasons. But there are a few old school people who you'll still see doing it. Well, I hope that I don't need money after I'm dead because I'm not bringing anything with me. <laughs> That's interesting. And yes, this is only in the 2000s, right? Yes. In the 13 years I've been here, it's a completely different world now. Ever since smartphones came, now there's an app for everything. But when I first arrived here, yeah, things were still pretty old school and cheap as chips. A taxi ride would cost like $1. A bottle of water would be like 20 cents. But from the money that you make, it was cheap too? Or it was just you're changing Canadian dollars? It was still cheap, yes. Of course, when I first arrived here 13 years ago, I was making much less money than I make now. Even then, I was like, wow, this is cheap. That's another thing that's wonderful about the lifestyle here for a foreigner. I found when I lived in Canada, I was always worrying about money and always receiving bills, always trying to scrimp and save and be responsible. Oh, I would like to go out to dinner with those friends, but oh, I already dined out a couple times this week. Or, oh, I want to buy that new dress, but I shouldn't. Whereas here, you can live like a queen or king and still save money. You never have to think about, oh, I shouldn't go for that massage because it's so cheap here. Are you serious? I'm moving with you. Right? Exactly. And, and of course, there are so many benefits to living in a country like Canada. Canada is an amazing country in so many ways. But yes, I remember always worrying about money and actually accumulating debts while living there as well. And then here I am. Yeah, you, you never have to give things a second thought. Even if I'm buying and doing everything I want to do, I'm still saving because 
the salary for foreign teachers here is high compared to the normal locals. Plus, cost of living is very low. And there are usually other benefits too, depending on the company you work for. And you said that you had some adventures that you wanted to share? Yes. So of course, being to 94 countries, I think the first thing that comes to mind is the first time I went to Egypt. I went with a friend. We were walking through a market. There was a salesman. I can't remember what he was selling now, but he looks at my friend and he says, how much for her? (laughs) And I'm thinking, excuse me. (laughs) So the conversation continued and my friend thought it was hilarious, but I realized this guy's not joking. He thinks that he can buy me from my friend as his second wife. Mm -hmm. And he's just laughing and he starts negotiating with him. Now I think it's hilarious. But at the time, I was so angry at him. And I thought, oh my God, am I going to get sold to a man in Egypt? Anyway, this this happened three times on that trip. And usually they didn't offer money. They offered camels. The story is not foreign to me, Susan. When I went to Egypt with Dave, it was in 1994. We were in Dahab. Yes, we were walking in town and somebody offered Dave a few, I don't know how many camels for me. (laughs) And he didn't notice and he didn't make too much conversation with the gentleman. But I was so scared that I wasn't going to come back. Right? Yes. So I didn't like it one bit. It wasn't funny. Now we laugh. Exactly. In the moment, it is not funny at all, but now it is. It is interesting that it happened to you and to me. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Another one that comes to mind, even though I love traveling so much, of course, there are going to be times when things go wrong. And I've realized now, after all these experiences, that anytime something goes wrong, it's okay. Try to still enjoy the moment because it will become an experience and a story later and it always works out. So another one (laughs) that comes to mind right away is Israel. I absolutely loved Israel. I, I loved everything about visiting that country, but I will never, ever go again. <laughs> what happened? What <laughs> and happened? why that is, um, the, the horrible experience didn't happen in the country. It happened going in and out of the country. I was with my best friend. We were in Jordan and we decided to take a bus into Israel. And so we arrive at the border. My friend went first to the customs agent and she had no problem. They looked at her. They looked at her passport. They stamped her. She was in the country. Finished. Then it was my turn. My passport sent many red flags. First of all, I'm Canadian. Secondly, my passport is issued in Beijing. Thirdly, I have an Iranian family name and middle name. So they looked at me and they looked at the passport and they looked through the pages and they're, and the guy's like, come with me. He puts me in this little room all alone and he leaves me there for a while. And then this woman comes in and she has a million questions and then she left. And then in came another person and another person. I believe I was interviewed by five people and about two hours until finally they just decided, okay. And they stamped my passport and I was done. Again, like now it's funny, but at the time it was scary, right? And then after that, my friend and I were just like, yep, never going back to that country. (laughs) I did have a good time when we went to Israel. It was just very nice. Any other adventure? 
India was quite the adventure. Another girlfriend and my and myself went to India for a month. There are so many amazing things about Indian culture. So we decided while we were there, I think it was our first or second day there, to make a list of things we must do while we're in India. I think it was a list of 15 items, and we ended up completing the entire list. It was fun. It was kind of like a scavenger hunt in a way. Some of the things on our list, to wear a sari, to go to an Indian wedding, to learn how to cook an Indian dish, to ride on top of a bus, to go to an orphanage, to visit the slums, to see different cultural things around the country. And that was a lot of fun. It was a very interesting experience. I had just read the book Shantaram before visiting the country. It's an amazing book about an Australian man, actually a convict, who escaped to India and spent many years there. And it was his book that made me want to visit certain places, including the slums. But what fascinated me more than anything was that, you know, these people, they literally have nothing. They don't have a house. They have a tiny room made out of whatever materials they can come across. Plastic, metal, wood. They have no money. They don't even know where their next meal is coming from. And yet, they're so happy. They are an amazing community. Like, they each have their own family. The whole slum, in a way, is an extended family. And it just blew me away how happy they were. Yes, that's true. I I notice that sometimes when I go to South America, you can see that too. I find that the people don't need much to be happy, right? Totally. It makes you realize... Why do people care so much about all these material things? Mm -hmm. Yep, that's true. That's true. All right, Susan, thank you so much for your story and for sharing it and for being vulnerable. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I am Daniela Stockfleet-Menis. You were listening to Because Everyone Has a Story. Follow this story and many others on Instagram at bhas.podcast. Join me next time for another story conversation. Thank you for listening. Hasta pronto.